Hi, and welcome to the 20th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is Women in Mathematics. I've got a very special interview with not one, but two of the women working on Maths for Girls, an organisation that allows educators to invite female and male role models who work within finance, investment and STEM into the classroom to inspire and encourage students to take maths beyond GCSE. I'm speaking with its founder, Minna Gerowin. Minna shares why we need to change the way we perceive maths and why we need to keep girls of 11 to 14 engaged by introducing them to relatable role models. I also speak with Dawn Miller, country president for Switzerland at Chubb Insurance. Dawn shares how she got involved with Maths for Girls and the benefits it brings from a corporate perspective. We will also be hearing from Inesh Santos, Mormonthology's associate editor, who is going to be talking us through the written stories in the new issue. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Mormonthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our new LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have got Minna Gerowin, who is non-executive director of 100 Women in Finance and she is founder of Maths for Girls. And we also have Dawn Miller, who is country president at Chubb Insurance. Switzerland. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. How are you both doing? Very well, thank you. And delighted to be here. Thank you so much, Fiona. And me too, and I thank you. And we have got a transatlantic podcast today. So uh, welcome to you both. Without further ado, I shall dive straight into the questions. Please, could I ask you both briefly to tell us a bit about your educational background and your career to date? Let's start with you, Minna. Okay, I am an American from New York State. I went to university here to Smith and Amherst. I then went to law school and became a corporate securities attorney. But after two years, didn't want to write about the deals. I wanted to do the deals. So I went back to Harvard and got an MBA. And then I was the first and only woman at Lazard in mergers and acquisitions. And I did these both in New York and in Paris. I speak several languages. And after that, you keep watching where the money's going and the guys were all moving to private equity. So I went off with some partners and bought five industrial companies and I ran two of them. They were sold after seven years at a very large profit. And I was semi-retired in consulting when I went to a drinks party at Harvard. Harvard. The American universities are very good at shaking money out of you before reunions. And ran into a classmate, John Paulson, who said, you've got the right background for me. So I went over to Paulson and helped set up the events and credit funds. And then because of the languages, I at some point got tired of getting up at 4 a.m. So I moved my team over to London. I retired out of Paulson and then did what the guys do again 
went on some large corporate boards. You know them, Exor, which is Fiat, Chrysler, and Maserati, Ferrari, Case New Holland, the world's second largest agricultural equipment. This is tractors, combines, and threshers, Lafarge, which makes cement and tarmac. I always wanted to do something interesting. That was the criteria. And then went on the global advisory board at Samsung. And while I was in the city though, and maybe this is jumping ahead, I had this question in my mind, why were all the women I met in the city of London, expats like me or Scottish? And we can go into the answer now or later. It's why Maths for Girls came about. Why don't we hold that thought? We'll have a quick word with Dawn and then we'll come back to you, Minna, and we will find out all about the story of how Maths for Girls started. So over to you, Dawn, let's hear about your career today and and how you got to where you are today. (laughs) Thank you, Fiona. And and I have to say, starting this, I'm not, I I don't think my story, uh, I think it will definitely pale in comparison to that incredible journey that we just heard. I too am from the United States. I was born and raised in Georgia, grew up in the South and went to American University in Washington, DC. And to be honest, I really didn't start off with an aspiration in maths. I started with an aspiration that I wanted to be the next head of the United Nations and really dig into global politics and global diplomacy. Went to university, ended up working in my last year in university for a government agency. At that time, it was called the Overseas Private Investment Corporation in the insurance and and risk analyst analysis area and started to see that I was not only having an opportunity to have that sort of global engagement and then experience to different cultures that I loved, but also very interested in the area of risk and risk analysis. So moved on from university, went to graduate school in northern France, and then went into the world of insurance broking, political risk insurance, in fact. So again, marrying the two things of uh, different cultures, different risks that would be very much aligned to changes going on in the world at that time and the world of insurance that I had been exposed to. So carried on um, in the insurance broking world for a while. I had the opportunity at a young age to go run a small startup company in Eastern Europe, which I did really at at a height of when the industrial privatizations were going on in Central Europe in the early 90s. So that was something that was very different in hindsight. Hindsight's always 2020. I'm not sure I would do that again in the fashion I did. And certainly I know I would go back and do that with a much stronger background in math. So I'm sure that's a topic that'll come up later, but definitely that background in math and accounting would have been helpful more so than the other side of my life, which is more about negotiation and, and, and politics. But carried on, entered into the power generation um, space and was in the power industry for, for several years and through a variety of circumstances, moved from Europe back to the United States when I got married and combined the things that I knew, which was insurance, different cultural issues, and uh, the energy business. And I went into the energy industry. I joined AIG at the time, stayed with AIG in North America, all across Europe, Middle East, Africa, for a long time, for about 13 years, carried on, joined another large insurer, AXA, ran operations for them across Europe and in North America, and then now brings me to Chubb, which is where I am today, both running our operation in, in Switzerland, as well as our businesses in the Middle East and North Africa. So definitely a journey crossing back and forth across the Atlantic. The ir- irony is that 
while I never became head of the United Nations, there's an incredible amount of strong benefit the insurance industry brings to the world globally. And there's an incredible amount of cultures that our businesses touch every day. So I still have that aspect in my business, but I am surrounded all day long by incredible mathematician minds, incredible actuaries, and the underwriters in our organization, as well as across the insurance industry are so impressive. So I cannot wait to hear more about Math for Girls. I'm on the steering committee as the new member and just delighted for this program because maths is very much a fundamental of the world around us and helps us put so many things into uh, context and drive sustainability. So it's exciting time. Well, thank you both for joining us. We're really fortunate to have you both with us today. So I'm really excited to delve a little bit more into the background to Maths for Girls. We've got two great advocates for the organization here. So let's go back over to you now, Minister. So tell us, how did it all start? We really want to know. Well, first of all, I never intended to be a mathematician. And you should understand that I didn't particularly like maths. However, in other school systems, one doesn't like it or not like it, you do it. It is required in New York State, which I come from, every year of high school. Now you get some choice if you're not great at it, they might say, would you like to do bookkeeping or accounting and run your own business? Or if you were good at it, you went, were tracked into these advanced placement classes where you did various sorts of things, probability, statistics, calculus. And then unfortunately, I even went to college where you had to do another math class when you got there and another science. But the point was, it wasn't for girls. It was, you better get a good grade if you want a good grade point average to go to university. And this is what most of the developed world, except for the UK does. And that was fine, but I started to wonder about when I moved the parts of the hedge fund that I ran, to, we did everything out of London except for Canada and the US in my office. I kept thinking I'm trying to hire women possibly. And I kept getting CVs and all of these people have things called GCSEs. And if your kids haven't been in the school system in the UK, it takes me a little bit, but I figure out at age 15 or so, everybody can decide, I want no more math in my life. And I've learned to say maths, even though I think I'm stuttering. No more maths, no more science. I'm going to read poems and then go to Oxford. I'm going to be a TV star, whatever. And they can decide on their own at 14, 15, 16, no more maths. So I'm like, don't they understand? One, how do you let kids decide this, but I can't change the educational system. And second, don't they understand it forecloses enormous career options. Without maths, you cannot do any sort of science, technology, engineering, maths itself, or business, or for sure finance. And parents would send me, who are friends, would send me their kids' CVs because, you know, hedge funds, you're going to make money, and you're going to this, and you're going to that. And it's like, what do you think you can do on a trading desk or analyzing thing? financial things or risks without maths. And they said to me, what happened to them? And I said, I, having learned the right word, I put them in the bin, all those CVs. One mother was very concerned and oddly she sent her son in and I explained to him, you've got to do maths and he's just graduated as a doctor, but you can't do even doctor's medicine without maths. So I kept saying, what's going on that's only 
expats or Scots for the most part with the rare mathematician English woman I'd meet. And you found out about the system and then you found out what's further maths and A-levels or more math than that or core maths and that it's not mandatory. So I thought, well, I can't change the education system with my accent. So let's try, because I was involved with 100 women in finance, let's try and use all of my 35 and unders, because I don't know that they want to see an old person like me. I have a three-year-old grandson. Let's see if I can send some role models, the women from the various fields of investment banking, of trading, of asset management, of hedge funds, of insurance, who use it in their lives every day. And let's get that to be the first wave to go into secondary schools. And actually, I wanted to catch them at 11 to 14 before these girls made their minds up. And then a friend of mine, Shirley Conran, who does the Mass Anxiety Trust, and she and her husband founded Conran's, this store in London with all sorts of things. Shirley said she'd help and give me her educational materials. And then I called a friend I knew from the Harvard Business School Club, Sherry Kutu. And Sherry was the founder of Founders for Schools. Sherry's also a serial venture capitalist, one of the few very successful women in that field. And I said, Sherry, I know what these things are, but if I had to start from scratch and build a platform, it'd be three years to never. I needed money and I chatted up, as they say in the UK, my fellow board members at 100 Women in Finance, we made them the beneficiary of the gala. And that provided us, I think about 240,000 pounds to staff it up and get going and roll it out to schools to have the first wave will be women from finance. Then we will get some science types, whether they're biology, engineering, IT, digital. And the objective is to get several types of careers that need maths in front of all of these girls, 11 to 14. Now, boys can come as well, but I will tell you by calling it maths for girls, you guarantee you'll get girls. <laughs> and, and not younger boys, 11 to 14, but they can come if they want. Very naughty of me. And it's got legs. The first year we did pilot in 24 London-based schools with cooperation from the Department for Education because I knew some politicos and they were very happy to help. And this year, it looks like we're on track to get to at least 50,000 despite a pandemic. And then we hope to blow it up to 250,000 visits and perhaps a million and keep rolling it. And oddly, the pandemic helped us immensely because when we had to transform our budget from visits to schools to videos, and then you find out that half the UK doesn't have Wi-Fi in their homes. So it went on YouTube and it went on BBC Educational TV and we reached more kids than we ever thought we would. And we got great ratings. So that's the story of Maths for Girls, which is why don't these people take maths? How can I hire them in finance with no maths? And it's a way to show them through all these women, keep your options open. And the secondary reason was the Wanga puppets. These were these very funny puppets on TV 
that offered to lend you money, but it was at over 2000% per annum. And I'm going, don't people understand that if you borrow a hundred pounds, you're gonna owe over 2000 and go broke. This is what maths allowed you to know. Absolutely, Mina, that's an amazing story. Uh, Fiona, just before we go to the next question, I've got two children, uh, 17 and 18. And again, I was struck. I, my children have been raised in the UK educational system, which is a tremendous system. But certainly as an American, I'm coming from the state school system in, this, in the United States. I was really struck by this point of maths is you, you, you can decide along with other sciences, etc. at age 15. I never want to touch XYZ subject, this subject again, right? And whether it's math, science, or otherwise. And I have said to both of them throughout their education, and I'm also advocating in their university as well to keep some element of analytics and maths in their in their education as they go forth, even if it's economics, right? Because you'll get you'll gather some stats and such from that whether it's economics, whether it's straight out maths, accounting, because it comes up in so many parts of one's life, right, as you go forward. So I was interested in your observation on that point as well. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how you got involved? Sure. Again, through networks and such. So it was through Sherry that I got in touch with Founders for Schools and then stayed in contact with the organization. Wasn't able to contribute as much because I personally was living outside of outside the United Kingdom yet again. But when I came back and with Chubb, we have a very active employee engagement program, community engagement program and uh, charity foundation within our, within our organization here in the UK, obviously reflecting the values of our organization worldwide. And we have had multiple interactions pre-COVID where we would have groups of girls on, from founders for schools coming into our space here to speak with individuals from our teams to learn a little bit more about the insurance industry and in a very light touch way that here's what a live person or an, a, a senior female leader in that case or a senior leader looks like in the insurance industry and here's where their life experiences at the moment. And then as we became closer, it was when Maths for Girls came on board and it became a perfect opportunity for two organizations that were attached to both Chubb providing some partnership funding with specifically with Maths for Girls, very specific on engaging with the organization so that we can do more outreach, so we can not only provide that role modeling and the discussion, whether it's in-person or virtual, the discussion of, of maths and the importance of continuing education, but also in our minds, we begin to create an awareness and an understanding of insurance that a lot of school children that are coming out of their secondary studies, going to university or not, aren't aware of, right? Our industry doesn't advertise itself well. It doesn't describe itself well for all the incredible things the insurance industry does. All it takes is one person to give a reference to the classical insurance salesman walking down the street or an insurance claim that hasn't been paid. And then you, you take 10 steps back with all that great reputation that you've built up where really insurance is pervasive in our lives everywhere. And it is the oxygen that allows cities and nations and communities and people's personal lives to grow, right? Because in order to take a step forward, there's an element of risk. And if you're able to share some of that to give greater confidence to move forward, I think that's critical. And that's what our industry does. So really, we're very interested in our, and, and really are passionate about our partnership with Masks for Girls and Founders for Schools in that it gives us an opportunity for our employees now on a virtual basis and hopefully soon live to interact with young people and students and really help promote 
our industry, but also provide a different perspective. And for us as well, it's a future talent pool to look into. But number one, always for us has been an opportunity for our employees to be engaged in the communities around them. And something that I really appreciate about Maths for Girls and Founders for Schools is that the program is not just London-based or or one city-based. It's pervasive across the UK. And I think that's so incredibly important and impressive. So it's really been a great opportunity for us here. I have to stop and be a commercial for Dawn because Chubb has insured both my London and UK houses. And three years ago, eight tons of my old oak tree fell on the back of my house and Chubb rebuilt it for me. Thank you. I will tell Anne-Marie. She'll be delighted to hear that. Not delighted to hear about the tree. I'm sorry, but yes. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. But good. I'm glad to hear that we took care of you. So good. I think that's probably one of the best adverts I've ever actually heard. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yep. And can I sneak in an extra question here as well? So I've got a business background. So I did a business studies degree. I didn't take maths at A-level. I dropped it. I'm one of those people that dropped it after GCSE, didn't, didn't have the necessarily the best experience at GCSE but I came across maths again well it was it was actually stats it was part of my business studies course I ended up doing the compulsory module it was the equivalent of stats up to a level anyway I got that but had you told me beforehand that I would be getting stats up to a level I would have said I couldn't do it but actually by virtue of the fact it was built into the course I did it I did quite well. But how many people would that happen to? That you don't think you can do something and then if you have to carry on with it, you find you can. Absolutely. This is what I mean, where where it's required, whereas actually she is a Ukrainian, a Russian woman said to me who works in the hedgeman industry, says, Minna, one year Russia says you're all going to be engineers. She said, so you better come out of it as an engineer. When it's required, when you have no choice, you just stick to it. It's doable. Yep. And also I would say recognizing that maths at time and and perhaps even broader STEM STEM space, but maths at time, maybe someone has a bad experience, as you mentioned on the GCSE, or has a professor that isn't inspirational, or they, they can't make a connection with that professor. Having a program like Maths for Girls allows another outlet for students to have and pupils to have another perspective that maybe all of maths is not represented perhaps by that professor or classroom experience you had. There's another outlet that you can see a a positive utilization of maths, a positive outcome to being engaged in maths, whether it's the primary thing you do for your job or secondary, but just how it can benefit you from being able to operate more smoothly in your own life. And I think that's Maths for Girls provides that perspective that I certainly know I didn't have growing up. I was okay at maths. I went up through calculus in American high school and then and then stopped. But I remember I um, had dear friends of mine who were exceptional at maths and they gave me a hard time because I needed a tutor because I needed extra tutoring. And I never really forgot that. And these were my best friends, such good friends, but they all kind of heckled. And had I not been confident in some of the other areas, like the government politics and other areas I was engaged in and interested in at the time, I would have just given up completely. And so I would have loved to have an outlet that I could go to and say, give me more rationale and reason for continuing this battle through my calculus at times. So it's so important to have different perspectives and groups like Maths for Girls um, to lean on. Going over to Minna now, would you say that it's the positioning of maths? It's it's the way we position maths. It says as an enabler to support you in all areas of your life. I think it's got to be positioned that way. Like Dawn, I had a bit of trouble with calculus. 
in America, unfortunately, how wealthy your neighborhood is determines how good your local school systems are because they're all locally funded. So I was in a very good, very competitive high school and had a lot of trouble in calculus. And a friend of mine in the class came and tutored me. Before that, my father had tutored me because he'd been an aerospace engineer before he went into business. But the friend who tutored me did a brilliant job and became the head chip designer for Intel. <laughs> so this was maths at an <laughs> Love that. That's excellent. <laughs> yes. But it is an enabler. And that was the idea to show one women can do it, young women like you, and also to reach people who maybe didn't have an area where I came from. We knew exactly what investment banking was. You knew what it was to own a company and run things. What about if you're from out there? And in America, you can be really out there in the middle of nowhere. What if you're out there and you have no exposure that these careers even exist? As Dawn says, you don't know what is it that insurance really does to assess risk, hurricanes, earthquakes, calculations, reinsurance. What if you don't understand this? You're not even exposed to it. So that the other aspect is the encounter is maths is necessary for an enormous amount of things. You don't have to love it. You don't have to get a PhD in it, but you have to be able to use it, but also to expose these girls to what are the other things that math can lead to. The first wave will be finance. We're hoping to then get other funding, but just here is something that there are tons of jobs in the UK in the finance related fields. The UK is a world leader in some of these. How do you get access to it? When I was first on Lazard's desk in London, and before that, the summers during college or university, I was an apprentice at the Stock Exchange in Basel. So you had to work in four languages and you saw what quick calculation could do. But then I kept meeting all of these guys on the trading desk at Lazard in the UK and they called them all Barrow Boys. They were the ones who'd done well at maths in grammar schools. And it led them on to careers they'd never dreamt of. And I kept thinking, and the girls don't know these. And they don't do maths. How do we encourage them? That it opens up your options. It opens up your possibilities. And, and I have a list for you at the end, Fiona, of what we would like you to help with. <laughs> feel free to ask away. That's not a problem at all. That's Absolutely fine. And I think we've touched upon the dreaded COVID. So in respect of what you're doing, switching over to video and, and YouTube and those channels have actually been helpful for, for what we're trying to do. Absolutely. What's happened is our audiences expanded really almost exponentially because we thought it was very good to have someone in the classroom live to ask questions of. They're less threatening. But since you couldn't do that, it basically said you could request this and you can get several schools signing on to a session. We can go to careers days and people will just talk not about maths careers, but about finance industry. And that's where we needed all of the um, volunteers to talk about their industries, to expose people at careers days to these industries. You know, we will get at one careers day session, 650 kids signed on to a session. 
just giving a bit of a snapshot as to what that feels like in the classroom. I just two weeks ago had my first classroom interaction session. It was great the way it was done. It was a school in Wigan and what the head of the math department had done is brought all of her course classes together. So we had 250 pupils on the call at one time. It's fantastic. And there were three of us. So you got me from the insurance industry, a woman who was an entrepreneur in the tech space, and then a, a startup and hedge fund investor. So really an interesting accumulation of people. We didn't know each other before, but somehow our stories also dovetailed, right? And I thought what was really interesting is we spoke a lot about maths and using it. One of us had always been a maths person. The other one like me had not, um, but I also lamented not focusing on it more earlier in my career. And another person had a, a learning challenge where they saw numbers kind of all over the page and still thriving as a tech entrepreneur. So I thought those stories were very interesting, but all the stories dovetailed into a space ultimately around asking questions, taking chances, being open about what you understand and don't understand. And I thought that was fascinating for three people. We were very different. I'm so honored and thrilled that we found each other through this experience, but also that the students had a story, not just about maths, but also about taking chances, successes and failures and, and taking some risk and asking for help and being curious. I, I thought that was neat. So a byproduct of the discussion growing up, I had a great education, but there wasn't a lot of, in particular for girls, a lot of, I don't know the right words for it, but there was always a lot of encouragement and such being bold and taking risks and, and such was possibly at that time in that generation, a little bit left more for the boys than it was for the girls. Right. So I think always being able to have this kind of role models or examples of way to do things differently is so important. Yep. And do you think it would be fair to say that no matter who we are, no matter what level we are at in our careers, everybody gets stuck. And it's also mm. about what you do when you get stuck. So yep. I think with math, sometimes there's this whole, I know the answer, I don't know the right answer. But in actual fact, even the best mathematicians are the people who are the most numerate get stuck with things. So it's about how you approach that as well. So math is almost about a mindset. Would that be fair to say? Certainly from my perspective, yes. Make the world around you your classroom, right? I certainly ask a lot of questions. I am not a numbers oriented person. My husband is an incredible mathematician. Both of my children are, I'm not, but I ask a lot of questions and I surround myself with people that can help that we work together to get to the right context. I think that's so important. I think it's understanding and particularly this is a very American mindset, but it's necessary. I've always thought America is the country of second chances. That's why people went to America. <laughs> but you can just do something else. Maybe the first job didn't suit. Maybe there are things that are more interesting to you. And maybe sometimes you really do have to learn something like to read or write or do arithmetic in order to get there, to give it a focal point to say, okay, fine, but strive at this because it'll lead to something better something following on from the covid point before so lots of my friends have got kids of school age now so to have to be homeschooling your kids to have this responsibility of looking after their education so that the, the whole math side of that as well i think a lot of people have found that quite challenging if maths hasn't been their background as well so another reason to skill up in that in that area I have to Absolutely. say, I've not had kids in a school system for so long that I'm going to defer to Dawn. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. Well, and my children are older, as I mentioned, they're in their late teens, like 17, 18. So 
definitely at the beginning of the lockdown here in England, even though my job was actually in Switzerland, I was here with my family and and they were home. It was a different dynamic. I didn't have to work with them on their homework, but there's a whole other dynamic there around time and space and actually food consumption, but that's another story. I certainly have a lot of extremely talented team members of mine and colleagues working with me with young families. And I saw there was definitely an angle of all of us revisiting our earlier years of education. Also, I think what we learned in COVID is giving everyone the time and space to to take accountability for what they have to accomplish and possibly recognize that it, it will be done in a different time frame. So many of my team, many of my executives had very young families and they were very open about saying, I'm available from five in the morning until 10 in the morning. And then you won't hear from me again between 10 and 4 p.m and then I'll get back online. And that's how we all work together as a team. So maybe a story less about using maths and education, but more of a story around flexibility and creating optionality for people to to maneuver through the day. I have such respect for all the families and parents around the world who had to push through the homeschooling process, right? Because it was a learning experience, not only for parents and the kids and the schools themselves, and I think it's a great call for making sure that our, all of our schools, whether they are state or private, have the infrastructure they need to go forward. And I believe that programs like Maths for Girls can augment and provide additional support in that way, right? Because again, you're providing another outlet for engagement. Absolutely. So we'll move on to why is it important for people from industry and business to get involved? What are the benefits for them? And what can the Womanthology community do to support this wonderful work that's going on? How can we help? I need one thing most right now, which is we need everybody to go to their local head to host in the secondary school to sign up for Maths for Girls sessions because the head teachers decide who will sign up or not sign up or the local maths teacher. So one, we'd like that because that determines that there'll be more sessions. Second, we need more volunteers. And if they feel like donating, that would be nice too. (laughs) You can't say fairer than that. And in terms of volunteering, what sort of things could they end up doing? If they were to volunteer, if they were trying to imagine themselves volunteering, what sort of things would you have them doing? What we'd have them doing at the moment, until the pandemic ends, is talking about they get a bit of training, which hopefully you got done. Mm -hmm. Give about a 10 minute talk about your background. Give a 10 minute So how do you use maths in your work and how did it help you with your work? And then take Q&A from the kids about your careers. And they should be people who've done at least A-levels or core maths after GCSEs who understand what maths can do for them. So the process for, for signing up, it's very simple. It's a two or three page profile you fill in about yourself and you end up uh, with almost kind of like a Facebook page type of profile. The schools see that. They look through what they're looking for. I can imagine sometimes they want to create a panel, as I mentioned before. Sometimes they might want a younger speaker, someone, different experienced speaker, whatever the choices are, and they go through. So it's a very quick process to become engaged and and a very quick feedback process as well. One of the more interesting things that happened, because I went to some of the early training volunteer sessions was to me the number of women who showed up in headscarves from Muslim areas, the number of black women who showed up. And these were all women who had done quite well at maths. And what they talked about was how it allowed them. One is the risk manager at a hedge fund Mm -hmm. who is a Sunni Muslim. 
you know, how mass allowed them to do these things. <laughs> At this point, our immediate press, and I just saw the maps yesterday, is to make sure we cover the entire UK. So really asking mm -hmm. people to press their local head teacher or a maths teacher for secondary schools to sign up for it. Because we are trying to be everywhere in the UK. Maybe if I could just add to that as well, not only approaching the schools to, to volunteer and, and, and do the work within the schools, but really, while well, I had mentioned at the earlier, at the beginning of the conversation, I had personally been introduced to Founders for Schools. It wasn't me who brought Founders for Schools to Chubb in, at this time. It was other colleagues of ours who had, through their personal networks and their neighborhoods, and they brought it in. So the more that we all can bring awareness of Founders for Schools, masks for girls, to our corporate environments, Every, so many of our corporate environments have new and arising ESG frameworks, CSR frameworks, DNI frameworks, social mobility groups, employee engagement groups, all of that, different shapes and sizes, so many corporations do. And this is a great opportunity. It came in through our employees. We listened to our employees and we became engaged. And again, as I mentioned, for ourselves, as so many other industries, it provides an opportunity for providing that employee engagement, providing that profiling, and also learning. You know, you learn from the pupils as much as they learn from us, right? Um, the questions are always very open, very clear, very straightforward, and that's very refreshing. So it sounds like a win, win, win. Yeah, absolutely. So we are on to the final question. I am going to ask you uh, both, what is coming up next for you? So that's in your day-to-day -day roles, but also in the, the Maths for Girls capacity. What, what's coming up? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited um, about? The first thing that comes to mind is I'd love to see us bring more of the risk topic into the Maths for Girls dialogue. And that's something formulating in my mind in early stage. And hopefully I'll be bringing out to the Co and others to, to talk about, but it would be wonderful to do that. It just brings another relatable piece to the math story and, and broadens the engagement of the in insurance industry as well. So from my perspective with Maths for Girls, that's something I find exciting, the potential to bring that to the front. And do you think yeah. there's maybe a case study there about Minna's tree incident? Do, do think you think so. that could be something we could so. use? There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, there's some brilliant and just wonderful case studies of how insurance is intertwined, as is finance, obviously, into the sustainable development goals with the UN. And I think bringing some of that to the forefront for our young students all across the country is, is so very important, right? So hopefully there's an angle. Thank you so much. And we're going to mm -hmm. go over to Minna now. So Minna, could you tell us what is coming up next for you in a personal capacity, also in a Mass for Girls capacity? What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? Over to you. There's Mass for Girls. The question is to get it established and make sure it's growing and it has legs in the UK. The next question then is how does one bring it to the developing world? It, you've got to change the message. Mass for Girls right now was designed for the UK for this GCSE schools system problem, how to keep girls going in maths. The real question in the others is how to keep girls in school and make them understand how integral maths is to even having their own business and to succeeding in life, to understanding and just being able to be self-sustaining. I've always wanted, particularly on the boards, but even at work because there was no career path for people my age, I wanted work to be interesting. And from that, I wanted my boards to be interesting about things I hadn't known before. And I had never dealt in the developing world. So one board 
was Lafarge because the first thing a developing country needs is tarmac for roads and cement to build houses. And you learned about it. Alas, I also learned about Boko Haram, ISIS, and others who took our factories over. And how do you get your workers out alive? It was more interesting than I expected. I'm now on a trustee of the Population Council, a Rockefeller-founded charity, which brings healthcare. We developed long-term contraceptives. We developed the Ebola vaccine, HIV medicines, and now dealing with the third world and COVID. So that's been quite interesting. I take art classes. I have always dabbled either oil painting at the moment. I'm learning watercolor by Zoom. I don't know how it's dealt with in the UK, but there are probably remedial math classes around for people who might want to go back and learn maths now. Well, interestingly, there's an organisation called Citizen Maths who we've written about before who we absolutely love. So one of the colleges up here is, is heavily involved in that and one of my contacts there. So any age, it's never too late. Is that the message? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Never, never too late. Yeah. Maybe I could join, although I've got my stats up to A-level now. Maybe I could, uh, jump on <laughs> that leaves just me then, right? I think in all the story, it's just me then. <laughs> I'm the one that's outstanding, so I'm the culprit right there. Yeah, <laughs> well, excellent. Everybody is always welcome. So I would just like to say a massive thank you to Minna Gerowin and to Dawn Miller. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you both and if it would be possible to keep in touch with you we will follow your progress keep spreading the word absolutely Absolutely. thank you so much (laughs) thank you pleasure hello my name is Ines Santos I am the associate editor of Womanfology and I am here to tell you all about our new women in mathematics issue the stories include Carrie Liu is an award-winning fellow of the Institute of Mathematics and its applications. She shares her passion for improving people's lives, having previously spent 10 years working in the NHS. Carrie is currently providing statistical support for the charity Water Harvest Clean Water Programs in India, alongside supporting six other charities and running her own consultancy business. You will also read about Sarah Brown, a PhD mathematics student at the University of Nottingham, who tells us about her research combining experiments in a laboratory with mathematical and computational models to help understand the ways we can treat asthma. Sarah also talks about challenging stereotypes in maths. Shamia Sanjania shares her work as part of the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications Early Career Mathematicians Committee. Shamia also discusses her admiration for Mariam Mirzakhani, the Iranian mathematician who was the first and only woman ever to win the prestigious Fields Medal for Mathematics. Sadly, Mariam passed away in 2017, but her legacy lives on. Also, Womanfology regular Dr. Sophie Carr, who runs her own consultancy company, talks about approaching maths with an engineering perspective. She also shares the projects she's been working on as her company grows, despite the pandemic, and reminds us that what unites all mathematicians is a love for solving puzzles. Louise Moll 
is project lead at maths for girls. She points out how boys and girls are equally good at maths, but this is not reflected in the numbers of boys and girls studying the subject. To change this, Maths for Girls showcases brilliant women who use maths every day in their job and connects them with girls aged 11 to 14, supporting them to discover where maths can take them and how it can change the world. Finally, Dr. Juliet Ogiaco lets us know about her journey studying mathematics that has taken her from Nigeria to Loughborough and how she's working to widen participation in mathematics, not just for women, but also for people from ethnic minority groups. Juliet has also taken part in a new film to celebrate women in mathematics in the time of COVID-19. Do check out our website, womanphology.co.uk, to read the full stories. And that is all for me. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also subscribe. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode, which is a Soapbox Science special, profiling one of our other favourite STEM outreach organisations. For now, take care and stay safe.